Hello everyone. My name is Jared Altick and I'm a chaplain with the police department. The Hey Chaplain podcast brings you stories and wisdom about life and law enforcement, giving support and encouragement to those who wear the badge. In the television show, The Rookie, actor Nathan Fillion plays a man in his 40s who dramatically changes his life by joining the LAPD, becoming a rookie cop who is 20 years older than his fellow rookies. The television show is based on a true story and is also representative of many other officers across the country who have decided to join the police department in their late 30s and early 40s. Today I'm joined by Jim Spellman. Like the rookie, Jim joined the Los Angeles Police Department at age 39 after spending most of his adult life as a pastor in a church. Listen to him describe the draw he felt toward doing police work but also notice how even before policing, he was always helping people. Jim tells a compelling story of trying to find out what God's plan looked like for his life, a plan that would take him from San Francisco to the streets of Skid Row in LA. Here's Jim Spellman. Hello. Hello, Jim. Hey, Jared. How you doing? I'm doing well. Long time no see. I'm glad to have you on the podcast today. How are you? I'm good, Jared. Thank you uh, for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Sure, sure. So let me just cut right to the chase. What did you actually go to college for? So I went to college in order to uh, train to be a pastor. Yeah, I went to Ozark Christian College. So you're you're pretty familiar with that. Yeah, that yeah. We were there overlapping. I'm not exactly sure what years you were yeah. there, but but and we I were was there, there about the same, same time. time as yeah, same time as your brother. Yeah, yeah. And so I went to school there and uh, studied for ministry and graduated from there in 2003. And you, you, were you originally from California? Yes. Yeah, so I'm originally from Southern California. Um, I was raised in uh, San Bernardino, okay. the city of San Bernardino, which is uh, near Riverside, probably about uh, an hour east of Los Angeles. Okay. Okay. And so you go to Missouri, Southern Missouri, to go to Bible college trained to be a minister, and then you and your wife, you go back to California. But you went back to be a minister in a church, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. So what happened was, you know, during that time I was going to school, um, as many people who went to school there, a lot of times on the weekend they would volunteer in churches or even, you know, even be hired on part-time to preach in churches, be a pastor in, ch- in a church on the weekend. So I did that um, for four years in Kansas City, Missouri, right, right on the border of Independence, Kansas City. Okay. And then after I graduated, um, we decided to partner with a church planning organization, and we ended up in the Bay Area and started a church from the ground up. Okay, so up in uh, San Francisco or near San Francisco. Uh, yes. And and you were there for some time, but but in the process of you know, working in a church plant kind of situation, which you did for several years. I mean, somehow you went from there to being a police officer in Los Angeles. So, so how did you go from being a church pastor to a patrol officer? So it started in, I want to say about 2000 and maybe late 2005 to early 2006. And at that point I had been doing ministry for, I want to say roughly about um, six six years. Okay. And I just really began to, uh, in the process of doing ministry, I started thinking about, you know, um, volunteering. And 
for some reason, I just, you know, started really thinking about being uh, a volunteer uh, reserve police officer. And then I remember watching this ABC News special on the LAPD. And I just remember thinking after I watched it, I thought, man, I think I could do that for the rest of my life. Hmm. You know, I really feel like, wow, that's something that I could really do the rest of my life. So this this uh, interview is really about Peter Jennings kind of going on a ride along and experiencing um, what it was like to work in this um, division in uh, Los Angeles that dealt with high gang and crime. And uh, the video actually starts out with uh, uh, officers who had taken gunfire from uh, gangsters who just had driven up beside them. Oh, wow. So it was all about kind of like the gang officers and stuff and the work that they did. And I just thought, man, that's that's kind of like I feel like that's I'm wired that way, hmm. you know, to do that kind of job. And it, so it was, it was a some, positive portrayal. Oh, yeah, it was it was a positive. It was a positive portrayal. I mean, there was times growing up where. Um, especially 1992 LAPD was seen in a bad light with the Rodney King incident. And then it was also, um, uh, seen in a bad light when it came to the OJ Simpson trial sure. and the way media and the way the coverage and stuff covered that when I was in high school. Um, uh, but outside of those things, and, um, there was a lot of positive things that you saw. And then of course, especially, I mean, September 11th really kind of shed a positive atmosphere upon police and firefighters and stuff when it came to that event. Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, really enjoyed, um, being able to help people, serve people. And my wife, you know, at the time it's like, I married a pastor. I didn't marry a police <laughs> officer. So it was, it was, it was, it was kind of a rough, you know, times of having discussions about it and talking about it. And then I want to say, even from some of the, some of the, pastors within the circle that I was a part of at that time, when I mentioned some of these things uh, to them about my, my thought of, you know, I might think about going into law enforcement and stuff. Some of them weren't really supportive of it, weren't really excited about it, thought that, you know, man, there must be something wrong with you or you need more vision from God hmm. or, you know, you, you, you're too, um, one guy I remember even saying, he was like, you're too small, you're too short to be a, a police officer. And, <laughs> I mean, I'm 5'11", so I figured that, I mean, I got some size. I mean, yeah, no, you're not a small um, guy. No, huh? So, <laughs> you know, it was it was a real wrestling match. I mean, it really was. I it, There was a, uh, a tough time of, you know, looking at it as, you know, you, you think, God, is you calling me to do this? Or is this something more like, hey, you know, something I want to do? Sure. And sure. so I wrestled with it for quite a while. But then I applied with uh, the San Francisco Police Department. And I ended up getting hired there. So in 2008, I ended up uh, choosing to go and uh, uh, join the academy with San Francisco Police Department. And that was a, it was a completely different experience for me um, when it came to my family. Because before that, you know, because we're a church plant, we don't have our own building. So my office was in my home. Mm-hmm. So I could be working during the day and stuff, working on sermons or some other things when it comes to the church. And there my kids could come down the hallway and they could see me. And there I am. And now is a different case where, you know, I'm getting up super early in the morning in order to beat traffic down into the city of San Francisco. And then on my way home uh, at five o'clock, it, you know, it, what would only take me about a half hour to get to the city in the morning 
would now take me an hour and a half just to get home at oh, night. Wow. And then when you come home, you know, of course it's, it's now it's, it's I got to study and I got to prepare things in order to go back the very next day to the Academy. Very all consuming. Yes. Yeah. So what basically happened when I was in, when I made that, that, that switch is during the time it was around 2004 when we moved to the Bay area and we ended up buying a house and it was around 2008 when I went into the Academy of San Francisco. And as most know, during that time, that's when the housing thing uh, crashed uh, up until that point, you know, um, I had to work two jobs. So I, I worked full time for the church, but also did some part time work in order to kind of supplement that sure. for our living there in the Bay Area, which is exorbitantly a high cost of living right. and still is. So when I made that switch and I went to the academy, it actually was something that was um, even harder on us financially. So we're, I was basically losing money each month. Hmm. And so in there, it was, it was tough. You know, it was going to be some tough decisions to have to make, which for us as a family, our commitment was to our young kids and for my wife to be able to stay home with them um, while they were young before kindergarten. Right. And so the option for us of her going and getting a job and then my kids having to go to daycare and it didn't seem like it was going to be cost effective for that. And then the idea of, well, I'm in the academy, so I'm going to have to sell my house and we'll have to move somewhere else so then I can finish the academy. That it seemed like that was going to be a fair scenario to you know, have my wife and my young kids, they're going to have to work on this process of selling the house because I'm there five days a week. So it just became something where, you know, we thought about it, we prayed about it. We had um, a family member come up and talk to us from Southern California saying, hey, why don't you, this house and all this stuff, this is kind of a huge financial burden. Um, why don't you just come down to Southern California you can come work at um, the church that we attend. They're looking for somebody to come on staff to help out with uh, youth and to help out with some other things. And so as we uh, thought about it, we prayed about it for a weekend. And I remember it was Easter weekend. We prayed about it. And this is the thing is when I was full time in the academy, because the church plant, you know, was already three and a half years old. It's still, you know, they were going to have to be in a process of finding a new pastor. So in the, the meantime of that process, there was still probably two times a month that I would still speak at the church. Oh, wow. So I would yeah. do the academy and I would have to prepare for the coming Sunday and, and to be able to, you know, preach and stuff and lead at the church. So during that time, that Easter weekend, while I was in the academy, we just prayed about it and we just thought, you know what? I remember my wife come to me. She was the one that came to me. She says, I think God's leading our hearts to really move to Southern California. And when my wife said that to me, I just thought, okay, this has got to be for sure. Because my wife never, ever wanted to live in Southern California. Oh, really? Ever. She, she liked Northern California because it was very similar in some aspects to the Midwest. But Southern California was a whole different type of thing. And she couldn't stand it. And when she came and told me that, I just thought, okay, this has got to be, the, the Lord has to be speaking to, you know, uh, my wife. And so <laughs> we, we literally packed up. I remember we packed up the house in two weeks. I remember going in and resigning from uh, the academy 
and I remember my family were telling me, okay, well, the, the church is having a board meeting and they're going to uh, talk about this position for you. Um, so this day that I resigned from the academy, the church had the board meeting. I resigned from the academy and then I called my family were to talk about how the board meeting went. And they said they never even brought it up. Oh, wow. And I sat there in the car and I thought, what have I just done? <laughs> I cannot believe this happened. So we literally packed our house up in two weeks. We ended up transitioning down to um, Southern California. And I just remember it was, it was, it was terrible. It was one of the hardest. I, I remember um, the pastor of the church um, that we attend right now. I remember him telling me, you know, during that, those times that I was going through, it was like six months where I was trying to find a job. I couldn't get hired anywhere. I was applying everywhere and I couldn't get hired anywhere, not to do security, even at target. And it, it was as if I was in like God's waiting room, you know, kind of yeah. like where you're waiting at the DMV or you're in the hospital waiting room and it just takes forever. And it's one of the hardest places to be in. But it was actually a good thing for us. It was a good thing for our family because the initial church that I was going to go work at, that didn't turn out. And so we started looking around for churches to attend. And during that time, we ended up finding a church called Centerpoint Church in Colton. And so we decided to go there because they had some good um, programs for our kids. We had really young kids at the time. And so we decided to go and try it out. And I remember the first night we went there, uh, the pastor, uh, Dane Ocker, a great man who uh, came up to us, was just warm and friendly. And um, we decided that, you know what, this is this is the place for us. So we started going there and I started up working for an after school program for a while. I did that for about a year. And during that time, uh, Centerpoint asked, hey, would you mind volunteering in our high school group? So I, I volunteer as a small group leader. And uh, during that time, I started to get to know the youth pastor more and and got to meet with Dane Moore, who's the lead pastor of the church. And eventually, after being there for a year, uh, they asked me, would you come on staff and uh, work as a youth pastor? Well, during that time, I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to get back into law enforcement because I really, in my heart, really want to do this. And it was during that time that uh, the opportunity came to join staff at Centerpoint that I said, all right, Lord, if you want me to go this direction, then close these doors to these other um, law enforcement opportunities. And so that's what ended up taking place. Uh, during that time, it was like 2008 or 2009. And, you know, places were going on hiring freezes. And right. it was, yeah, you weren't really finding a lot of law enforcement jobs at all. There might be like one, one uh, job opening for, you know, a hundred applicants. And so, uh, those doors end up closing. So I ended up going to center point church and I became the high school youth pastor there. And I spent nine years there. And, um, I always in the back of my mind, uh, knew that, you know, at some point, um, you know, I think, well, maybe when my kids, uh, they, they graduate high school, um, I'll look at, you know, applying and, and doing the law enforcement route again. Um, and so it ended up happening, you know, nine years later um, when I was at Centerpoint. But during that time, you know, when you're when you're starting out in ministry, you think, oh, you know, I think this is really, you know, I'd like to be a pastor of a very big church and preach in a very big church. As I spent time there, I really just started thinking, 
man, I don't think that this, I, I love the church. I believe it's the hope of the world and, and ministry is, is definitely, um, a calling, but I really feel still called to do police work. Did you have any time during that nine years where you'd just kind of given up on the dream of going into law enforcement? Was it always lurking there? Did it wax and wane? I mean, how, describe that for me. It was, there was always a, there was always a strong pull to it. it, it the thing is, it's kind of like, you know, at the time it, I was working for the after school program and then Centerpoint, the opportunity for Centerpoint came along and I thought, okay, this is, this is, is better than where I'm at because I, you know, I've been trained in this and I know this, I know what ministry is like and I know how to do this. And, um, uh, we're going to, we're going to go this direction. And then, you know, how things go. I mean, life just kind of goes along with, you know, your kids are going to school and sure. Time you know, you have all these things yeah. and yeah, time goes by and you're just like, well, look, I'm, you know, it's nine years later, but it wasn't until we started getting towards, um, a point in there where, I, I then eventually became the uh, the associate pastor, and I think it started to kind of look and as as a possibility that when the lead pastor, you know, eventually transitions on and you know retires or what have you, that it might be a possibility for me to kind of be that person who uh, comes in and be is the lead pastor. And I think as we um, started to uh, do some things like doing a multi site and helping lead that multi site. I think that's when I really just started thinking, I don't know necessarily this is, you know, for me, the long term. I, I think that um, God has used uh, the ministry, to be quite honest, in nine years. I think it was a great way for me to grow further in my own leadership sure. and in my own work ethic and all that. And I think that was a, a huge benefit um, to transition into law enforcement because being in a church of that size, especially being in the area we're in, we're in the area where, um, it is a little bit, I would say a lower income community. There is a lot of crime that's in the surrounding areas. And so we had a lot of ex- being in a ministry there, there was a lot of exposure of, um, people who have been in crisis, people who've had family members murdered, um, people who have, um, lost their, you know, their, their babies when they were born, uh, just a lot of heartache that we've been able to experience. And I had, you know, the opportunity to, uh, lead the grief share class and stuff for people who have lost their loved ones. And just the tragic ways that some people have, not just like through cancer, but like, you know, really, really sad stories about how someone lost their family member. And so having to do those things has kind of, you know, even helped shape me for, when it comes to dealing with the crisis and stuff that you see in law enforcement, but no, it was always back there in the, in, in the recesses of my heart of, you know, really like, wow, man, you know, I, I think I could, every time I see a patrol car or see an officer, I'm like, man, I, I know that, you know, I can do that. And I just remember thinking, um, when it got to the kind of that ninth year of that center point, I just thought, you know what, I think I would, I want to be a reserve. I think I want to go and do and be a reserve. Do you, think that your, fig- do you think that your family, uh, your wife and your family, do you think they always had that in the back of their mind? Did they think that you might always go this direction? Or had uh, they, had they put wife, that to rest? <laughs> I think my wife knew that there's always something that was kind of, you know, part of my heart. And, and she was a, a big reason, I think, for me actually being an LAPD. Because... At first, I was just thinking, you know, maybe I could be a reserve. And so I started looking at, 
you know, what it took to be reserved in, uh, in Los Angeles. Cause that seemed like to be the best, uh, the best scenario because a lot of other reservist opportunities locally in, in my city are, they require you to spend so much money to like put yourself through an academy. And then you got to, you know, buy all your uniforms and all this type of stuff. But with LA, you had, you know, a minimal amount of money you had to spend and they would do all the training and stuff. Hmm. The only problem is, is that the trainings uh, that happen during the week, they happen on nights when I needed to be at church because we had like Wednesday night, midweek services. And um, the other times it happened on a Saturday night. And I was like one of the, the uh, staff members who did the second most preaching in the church next right, to the lead pastor. Right. So I was like, this is not going to work at all. And then I just remember I was getting ready in the morning and it just, uh, <laughs> it just, you know, in my brain, I just remember hearing, why don't you apply with the LAPD? And I just thought, why on earth would I apply with the LAPD? This is a crazy, crazy thing that I would just apply for the job, not just a reserve. But I started thinking, you know, Okay, how much before that I started thinking, well, how many reserve hours do I have to get before I become full time? And I just thought maybe I should just apply. And so I decided, you know what? If I'm gonna do this, and and I remember my wife saying, you know, you better do it now before you regret later on in life that you never tried it. Really? And so I said, Okay, this I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. So I'm gonna apply to two places. I'm gonna apply with the LAPD and then I'm gonna apply with the uh, San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department which is right here. I mean, it's locally. And, and I knew a lot of people who um, worked for the San Bernardino Sheriff's Department. So I went through the application process pretty much kind of simultaneously with them together at the same time. And I remember with San Bernardino Sheriff's Department, it kind of stalled a little bit and then it started picking up fast. And I just think this is just going to happen no matter what. And then I went and took the psych test with them. And for whatever reason, which was super strange, the person that I did the psych test with, I was only in there for 10 minutes. And that person uh, said everything was good, that just continued to go to the workouts and all this type of stuff. And then I found out like a day later that that person failed me. Oh. And it, uh, I, you can't believe it. I was just like, how did I fail? And then all of the people on staff at church, all the people that know me at church, the people who know me from the department, they're like, how in the world? did you fail the psych test? <laughs> and I'm like, I have zero clue. And so then, um, they allow you to appeal it. Okay. So I ended up doing an appeal and I went to another, uh, psych and I did an appeal with that person. And that person, after the time I spent with them completely passed me. But then the sheriff's department here, what they do is they send you to a third one. So it's kind of like a best out of three. Right. And when I went to that third one, uh, that person completely sided with the first person. So at what, that what, point, are you just too well adjusted or, or what? I don't have any idea. <laughs> I don't know what it, it may. And maybe, maybe it's sometimes departments have those psychs that are specifically looking for specific things for their type of department. So maybe there's something there. They felt like, okay, this doesn't fit. Maybe this, this sheriff's department, you know, where you're kind of out there and you're, you're by yourself and, you know, it might be just three of you in this town. I don't know what, but, you know, the door. So with that, I mean, the door completely closed. So I just remember coming home and I just thought, yeah, I was discouraged. And I just thought, you know what, maybe this is, maybe this is God's way of saying, no, this is not, this is not what I want you to do. Huh. And it was my wife and it was my sister that said, Hey, 
you still have the process going with Los Angeles. Why don't you stick with it? Don't give up on it. Just stick with it and see what happens. And so I chose to stick with it. And of course, you know, what happened later is I, I got in and I got accepted. I went to LAPD. Wow. Wow. And your family was supportive of that. A lot of times when guys switch careers after 10 or 20 years doing something and then want to go into law enforcement, you know, a little bit late in the game compared to others, a lot of times there's a lot of resistance because the, you know, the wife married, in this case, a mm-hmm. pastor, not a police yeah. officer. And and a lot of times people feel like, you know, don't bait and switch me. And and they take a lot of convincing to get on board. But apparently over the course of the years that you spent in ministry and and exploring these options, your family was mostly supportive? Yes. And so I would say, you know, for my wife, I would say that it just it, you know, it's a testimony to her character. Hmm. It's a testimony to um just her her spiritual growth it's testimony just that you know how she grew up she grew up with um great parents she grew up in a great part of the country and i think she saw just the hard work and stuff because it was it was tough work i mean it was at age 39 it was like man i i remember going to one of the workout sessions when i was very first starting this you know and so i would go to workout sessions in order to get myself in shape get myself ready for the academy sure and that was that was a year before, you know, or I would say that was nine months before I got into the academy. And I remember that first workout session. And, you know, you think, oh, I'm in pretty good shape. And I went to that session and I thought I was going to die. I thought <laughs> and that during that time, too, man, I was working out and I was just like, this is terrible. Why am I voluntarily living this misery? I'm choosing to do this. This is and I was like, this is awful. And you're working out and, with people 20 years younger than you or oh, almost yeah, 20 years younger. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, some people were there that were part of my class, you know, they were part of my academy class. And I mean, in my academy class, I mean, you had people who were just out of the military, you know, people who yeah. were specialized units in the military. And, um, you know, the thing is, is that I, I think that with age, though, there, there comes – Something that's a little bit different than, uh, you know, kids talk about it and dads always talk about it. There's a difference between, yeah, your son, he can be 17, 18 and he's strong, but there's still a difference sometimes in old man strength yeah. and a dad strength, yep. you know. And that kind of happened, I think, when I got to the academy is that there was a difference in that, you know, in some cases I was faster than a lot of the younger people and stronger than a lot of younger people. But I think when you're at age, you realize, you know, this is a lot of work to get here. And, um, it's a lot of work to maintain in that environment because it's one of those things, man, it's, it's, you got to pass the test because if you don't pass the test, the shooting test, you don't pass the academic test. You got one more attempt, which is a remediation. If you don't pass that second attempt, you're out, you're done, which means you have no more job. Yeah. 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 Well, and as somebody older and wiser, you you understand the gravity of that, maybe more so than than a young guy that's a little more flippant and that kind of thing. How common were other new recruits that were approximately your age? So even though I was the oldest guy in our class, it was an interesting academy class we have. Um, and because L.A. is a huge department, you know, you'll have maybe five classes, academy classes going through at one time Hmm. and there'll be 
you know, uh, start dates are different. So you have kind of like a senior class, junior class and so on. Right. So in my class, it was interesting because even though I was 39, we did have a, um, a Academy recruit who was 38. We had one who was 36 who moved to Chicago with his family. We had others who were in their very early thirties. And then we had, you know, um, some guys in there who were 24, 23 and our youngest, I think, I think he was 21. I think he turned 21 while he was in the Academy. Oh, which is probably the minimum age. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it was interesting (laughs) going through at age 39 for my family. They thought it was, they thought it was, uh, um, you know, funny and entertaining that at that time that I was going through, that's when the new TV show for ABC came out about the rookie, which was about a 40 year old guy who, um, left his career in Pennsylvania and ended up becoming a police officer in Los Angeles. Yeah. Nathan Fillion is in that show. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so now I don't know if you've ever watched that show, but yes, do you, I mean, did that, was there, was that true to life? I mean, yet the circumstances are exactly what you were doing. You were living the real life version of that as, as a guy approaching 40, uh, being a brand new recruit in LAPD, uh, did the TV show get anything right? Um, so the TV shows are always going to be a lot more entertaining than what is uh, <laughs> kind of the real thing. There's I mean, no real, episodes where you fill out reports the entire episode. <laughs> yeah, see, people wouldn't like. See, they would. That would not even be even close to uh, fun to watch. <laughs> right. um, some of the things are definitely, you know. Um, spot on as far as like the diversity of the calls uh, that you have, but mm-hmm. a lot of it's just grandiose, like the shootouts and all that stuff. That's sure, just sure. that's crazy stuff. Um, but a lot of the a lot of the calls where you could go from you know a uh, wild domestic call where the female is actually the dominant aggressor to a call with a guy who is just wearing his underwear standing on top of a car in the middle of Hollywood. That could <laughs> that stuff can happen. Uh, and you know, you get a lot of diversity of calls, depending on the division you're in, Sure, you can get a significant amount of diversity well, with your, tell with me, those radio tell calls. me where you started. You have a probationary period that lasted a year. Is that right? Yes. And then, so you're out of the Academy, you have a year of probation. Uh, where did you start? So, um, we all can put in kind of a wish list where we want to go. And so my consideration, um, for kind of the division set. LAPD is broken up into uh, you got 21 patrol divisions uh, with the city. And it's kind of interesting, L.A., because L.A. is actually, when it comes to square miles, is bigger than New York. Hmm. Even though New York has a greater population, L.A. has a is a far more coverage. And, you know, with New York, you got like 32,000 cops and you got like seven, eight, what million people that live in New York City. Right. With Los Angeles, you got like 400 and some plus square miles. And then you got uh, only 10,000 officers and you have 21 divisions that make it up. So for me, I was thinking of my commute because my commute would be roughly around um, 50 minutes sure. to get there. So and then I thought, OK, well, in that case, you know, I'm going to try to go to Central Division. And then not only Central Division, I thought, well, Skid Row is down there, so why don't I go down and see what, what Skid Row is all about? And most people didn't want to go to Central. They never wanted to go to Central Division because they just thought, well, you know, there's a lot of transients. I heard it's, 
you know, there's huge rats down there and there's <laughs> like some of the medieval diseases started, you know, showing their face again. Sure, sure. Um, so typhus and stuff. And I'm just like, you know what, let's go to central division. So I ended up going to central division. I spent a whole year in central division and, uh, and working in there right next to skid row. Wow. I actually have a skid row story. I was with my brother. Uh, he was on business and I traveled with him just for the fun of it. And uh, we were kind of driving around L.A. and and going to some places we hadn't been before. And, uh, you know, the Disney Concert Hall and the train station and a few places like that. We're kind of driving through downtown. And and I'm like, you know, I need to go to a pharmacy. And so I'm like, just drop me off here. I was looking on my phone. I was like, there's a CVS a couple blocks away. And so he <laughs> drops me off like like maybe 5th and Los Angeles Street. Oh, and, yeah. And I walked like two and a half blocks to a CVS. <laughs> And uh, and it, nothing happened. Nothing happened. But I'm like, I had to like jump over a puddle of urine, and these yep. groups of homeless people are are kind of following me. And I'm like, if I die on a quest to buy <laughs> fingernail clippers, my wife is going to kill me. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. which it's a ev- rough area, everything man. ended up okay. I mean, I was fine. I got in and out and and got reunited with my my brother in the rental car. I mean, we, we were okay, but. <laughs> We would see people walking around because our station, Central Division, sits right in the heart of Skid Row. And we would see um, people walking around looking at their phones. And then we'd stop and talk to them, ask them, you know, hey, are you lost? And we could tell that they were from, you know, you know, maybe Denmark or somewhere else trying to go to the artist district. And we're like, you know what? You need to call an Uber right where you're at right now and you need to get out of here and have them take you to the artist district because you don't need to walk any further into this place yeah because your your phone's going to be gone in about 10 seconds yeah oh i i it was a very sketchy walk and like i said ultimately i got through unaccosted but (laughs) i would not do that again i I just didn't know i mean i was an out-of-towner and and just innocently trying to go to a pharmacy and yeah, I uh, yeah, it's a, would it's rethink a sad that. place. It's it's a place that has nefarious people who are taking advantage of those who are addicted and broken and hurting. And it's a sad place too for those who are addicted that you know, you can tell that they're they're high on drugs. Mm-hmm. Because it, it's February, it's not like you know a February in Kansas City, but I mean it's still cold outside, and you'll see people who are just sleeping on the the, the bare concrete, yeah. uh, you know, men who are just wearing a pair of shorts and yeah. nothing else, yeah. and they're just dead asleep, and you know it's because they're they're high, and it's just a, it's just a sad sad place. Um, it's an ultimate ultimate view of humanity's brokenness and their need for hope. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. From there, you uh, probably went to a different part of the city. So from there, I ended up wheeling out. And so, um, again, because of, you know, for the commute's sake, I tried to, because Central, you know, with those 21 divisions, they're basically inserted into four bureaus. So Central Bureau is where I was at. So I wanted to stay within some divisions that would be in Central Bureau. So I ended up getting the opportunity um, to go to the current division that I'm at, which is uh, Northeast Division. And uh, Northeast is just basically adjacent to uh, Central um, Division. Uh, we have, we, it's far bigger. So when I was in downtown and in, in Central Division, you know, you have Skid Row, but we also had the Staples Center where the Lakers play. We have all the skyscrapers. 
And so it's a very small division when it comes to uh, map size. It's only about four four point five square miles. Mm-hmm. So now I was going to Northeast Division, which was now thirty three square miles, right. which is a far bigger division. It you know it includes Dodger Stadium and you know iconic areas like Griffin Observatory. Oh yeah, uh, we yeah. have the LA Zoo, Griffin Park. We have the very kind of east side of Hollywood. Okay, and we go all the way over and we border. Um, South Pasadena, we border Glendale, uh, California. So it's a very, very big um, division. Is there a type of call that characterizes that division? So this division has, when we were downtown, we would get calls every now and then. You know, you might get calls, I would say, uh, once a shift where it'd be shots fired call. Mm -hmm. And you would go, and during my time there, my I was there during 2019. There was actually, you know, several shootings that did take place in downtown. I think we had like uh, several shooting calls, and there was quite a few homicides. Actually, you know, downtown had yeah, like 19 homicides that year. And a lot of times when you were if if you were going to a place where there's going to be a lot of shootings and a lot of homicide calls, you might go down to the south end of Los Angeles, you know, and a lot of those south end divisions. Um, but up here now, when we were in the uh, Northeast, if we get a shots fired call, a lot of time it turns out to be a legitimate call. Hmm. Whereas you got a downtown, it might be someone who's, you know, crazy high on drugs and are like, oh, shots fired, you know, and they, they use their cell phone, they call, make a call and you go down there and there's nothing. But when we get those calls there and we go out there, you know, we get out of a patrol car and we start looking around to see if we find casings because more than likely, it's, you know, it turns out to be, this is a legitimate call. Hmm. And, um, just, you know, one of the, the thing now is there's actually an increase in stuff. It's, it's, um, a lot more shots fired call and a lot more shootings and a lot more homicides have taken place. Okay. Now you're, you're doing this work. Uh, do you anticipate staying in patrol for some time? Uh, do you, I mean, do you have ambitions to, to do, you know, detective work or something different within the department? Oh, that, that's a great question. I, you know, I liked the, the, the patrol aspect of it. I love it. I like the diversity of the calls. Um, I like the, just, the uh, the joy and, uh, the fun of actually going out there and you know helping people sure uh, the people that are the everyday people who are simply just you know waking up going to work putting their kids in school or just living their lives those people come up to us all the time and say hey thank you for what you do um they're just super nice and uh very gracious people and so i love that aspect of being able to just you know go and help people and uh, respond to calls for service and all that. So I think I would like to do that. I think, you know, I might be interested in working in some of the other, um, maybe other specialized units, because you can do that as, from patrol. You can go into some of these specialized units, maybe that work gangs or works, you know, some of these other uh, units that are there. And then maybe eventually I'd like to become a patrol or a training officer. Okay. Okay. To, in order to help the, the next generation in policing, to teach them, not only the aspects of uh, doing patrol, you know, doing your traffic stops and all that, interacting with people and, and responding to calls and stuff, but also just to, to help deal with um, possibly help shape the heart of yeah. the officer, you know, yeah. the young officer. Because I think, I think some of them get into it 
and they really have a serious desire to help people. And I think this is what helps being older and especially, you know, have done ministry for that long is that I think sometimes people can go into this and I think they can do it in ministry too. Uh, any type of service where you're going to help people, I think people can have this, this understanding of I'm going to go and save the whole world. And then as time goes on, if things don't turn out the way they thought it should have turned out for them in ministry, or if they thought it should have turned out for them in police work, right? once they start getting pushed back and they start experiencing some people who are very difficult and can be problems and stuff on radio calls, they can start to develop a callus over their heart where they're just like, they're jaded about it. Yeah. You know, and yeah. pastors even, you, you can even get that way even in ministry if, if maybe things didn't go as what you expected it to be as far as your ministry goes. Oh, yeah. It, it injures you to some degree when you're like, okay, I'm going into this and I'm laying myself out there to really help and you're not wanting my help and, and you're, you're not going to do what's even good for you. And, and that's so frustrating because you want it more than they want it. And, and when you realize mm-hmm. you can't help some people, and, and hopefully it's not everyone you run into, hopefully it's just a small percentage, but, but there are people that you can't help. And, and that is so defeating and so, so demoralizing, and it breeds a cynicism that I think ministers have, and I think that cops also have, uh, that, that if you're not guarding yourself against it, that cynicism will just grow and grow. And uh, it can be it could be something that undoes you. Exactly. And I think that's one of the things is that, you know, you're not going to change the whole world. You're not going to change the whole world, even in ministry. But you can have an impact on someone's life. Um, Most importantly, you can have an impact on your family's life. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest difference you can make is, is, you know, leading your own family. And I think that, um, you know, one of the big things is that, I'm seeing with at least some of the younger officers who are far younger than me because of all the climate and the way things have been lately. I think for them, they're just kind of like, I'm not going to go out and really, I'm going to respond to calls of service that get generated, but I'm not going to do anything extra and actually go and look and stir the bushes or anything like that. Proactive. And I think, well, that's, that's not what we want to become because we want to continue to be proactive because maybe in our proactive nature and how we're supposed to do it, we may actually prevent something bad from happening to another person. And, you know, it comes back to just for me, you know, it really goes back to just, you know, the trust in the Lord and relying on, on, on God that, you know, every day that I, I, I would go into work, you know, I, I try to listen to a devotional. I try to listen to scripture and then I also, you know, have a prayer that, you know, I offer up to Lord. And I get that from just this article I had, I had read from uh, Tim Keller when he was talking about um, just the prayers that John Calvin would, would have. And they were prayers for like different parts of the day. And so this one was like geared towards work. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of tried to take that and tailor it towards, you know, um, my time going in just, to, you know, to pray to God and to say, hey, let me have an awareness of your presence when I'm at work tonight. Help me to be compassionate, but also let me have wisdom, you know, because there's going to be wisdom when it comes to applying a law and interpreting things and also give me patience. But let me be fruitful in my work tonight and then protect us from dangers and adversities that may come our way. Hmm. And that's kind of been my prayer every time going in is is knowing that you never know what's going to happen. 
And the thing is, still wanting to be proactive, still wanting to, you know, uh, account for work and answer those calls and and really believe in that. Okay, Lord, you called me to do this. I know you're going to be with me in this. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, I'm going to be proactive and um, trust in you. And I'm going to trust in the policies. I'm going to trust in the training that I've received from the department and um, choose to go and be proactive and, and work the best that I can because I'm working for you. That's beautiful. God bless you, Jim. You're doing good work. You're doing good ministry. And uh, I really appreciate what you're, what you're doing there in Los Angeles. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. I've always felt that there was a lot of overlap in the Venn diagram between a pastor and a police officer. Both people represent authority. Both jobs are predominantly held by men. Both jobs deal with people who might be breaking the rules. If you're a cop or a preacher, nobody wants you around until they need you. And when you show up unexpectedly, people tend to act nervous and guilty, even when they're not. Both jobs can make you and your family feel lonely, and it can breed cynicism about the condition of society. But most importantly, both jobs take on the responsibility of helping people in crisis. We respond when tragedy strikes. And I believe that God has called us to do this, that we might help the helpless. At the end of the conversation, you may have noticed Jim mentioning a prayer that he prays at work. I hope that every officer develops a prayer like Jim's, a prayer for compassion, wisdom, patience, fruitfulness, and protection. May God bless you as you go out into our communities to do good. If you like what you heard here, Please share this episode with a cop or someone who loves a cop. Next time on a very special episode of Hey Chaplain. I remember packing clothes in a suitcase um, and we were going to be taking a trip to Washington. And the entire time we were traveling to get there, um, when I got there, I, I ran in his house and just ran to his closet hmm. because that's where his uniforms were. Yeah. And I just knelt to the ground and cried and stayed in there for hours and hours and hours. And um, that's how it started. The views expressed here are the personal views of the hosts and our guests and do not necessarily represent the views of any law enforcement agency or its components. Thank you for listening today. And as always, pray for peace in our city.